Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Emily Schilt of Pop-Up Grocer. Pop-Up Grocer is a family of curated shops that feature new, better-for-you products. What initially started as a side hobby to potentially build clients for her consulting business turned into one of the most in-demand direct-to-consumer platforms to be on. Hello, and welcome to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Emily Schilt of Pop-Up Grocer. Emily, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Of course. Well, I'd like to start out with your upbringing. Uh, where did you grow up and what would you say your childhood was like? Uh, how long do you have? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I grew up in Maryland, uh, so I've been on the East Coast for the entirety of my life. Um, just outside of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And uh, how would I describe my childhood? Um, complicated, <laughs> like yeah. I think um, most adults in therapy would describe their childhood. No, mm-hmm. uh, maybe pretty independent. I was a very independent kid. Um, mm-hmm. My, I have an older sister, but she was off doing her own thing. Um, my parents were divorced and my mom, um, uh, was uh, an acupuncturist very early in her career, so very hardworking, um, and had custody of us. So I spent a lot of time alone and a lot of time um, uh, entertaining my myself, which mm. uh, now that I'm saying it out loud probably has a direct uh, relation to the independence in my adult and, and professional life thereafter. Definitely. Uh, growing up, what were some of your interests? Uh, do you, were you, did you have an entrepreneurial mindset, say selling products or lemonade stands, anything like that? I was sort of entrepreneurial. Um, I would actually say I was more community-minded. Um, in I love these questions, by the way. These are not questions that um, even my therapist has asked me. Um, <laughs> I, uh, we lived in this like cul-de-sac, you know, uh, like you have in the suburbs and in the center of it was this little forest, um, uh, or so it seemed to me as a child that it was a big forest. Mm. And I actually created a classroom within that forest for all of the younger kids, uh, in the cul-de-sac and I taught them math. I was a really, um, I was really big on math. Mm. I I thought um, being a mathematician was my future, which if you see me looking at an Excel spreadsheet now, you would understand, uh, you wouldn't understand how those two things <laughs> can be true, that I'm so uh, ill-equipped for finances and things that rely upon math now, but I was so gung-ho about it back then. Wow. But yeah, I loved, I loved. Um, I guess I loved leading or something, I don't know, but um, I really loved uh, hanging out with the younger kids, teaching them things, playing school. Totally. Amazing. Uh, following along, where did you end up going to school then? Um, and what did you end up studying there for college? Yeah. Um, so I think I had like a 1.9 GPA in high school uh, my junior year, which is which is cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> doesn't give you a lot of prospects for college. Uh, I had a period of rebellion due to some things that were going on at home, uh, which led to some bad grades. Um, But I was fortunate enough to uh, go somewhere my freshman year uh, in Providence, Rhode Island, Uh, but it wasn't my top pick. So I worked really hard my freshman year to get good grades and then transferred to a small liberal arts school in um, uh, Memphis, Tennessee called Rhodes. Mm -hmm. 
technically I am a Rhodes scholar, but it doesn't have the same meaning. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, and graduated um, from there. Awesome. Uh, during this time, what were some of your aspirations, say going to school? What did you have in mind to do that you would, you were interested in at this period of your life and then following along with school? Did anything change in your mindset career-wise? I, I had no, I had no idea, uh, mm -hmm. what I wanted to do as a kid. Uh, I was really hell bent on, um, I guess this was following the period where I loved math. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was hell bent on becoming an OBGYN, which I got a lot of, um, ridicule, uh, about, uh, I don't think I really fully understood, um, what it meant or what it would entail. But I think my dad told me that, um, we had a family friend who was an OBGYN and he made uh, a decent amount of money. So I thought that stabil stability seemed appealing, I guess. Yeah. Um, uh, and obviously I did have this interest in, in uh, kids and raising kids, bringing kids into the world, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. So I was excited about going into a medical profession, but then when I went to college and realized how much schooling that would entail, um, and that I really had no interest in even, you know, a basic biology class mm. that, uh, that was not going to be an option for me. So I felt a little lost really. Um, I ended up, you know, I went to a liberal arts school, which means that you, uh, have a pretty, um, balanced education yeah. and, uh, there's no need to, to specialize. You do pick a major, but you still dabble in, uh, a, a variety of, of areas. Um, so I did end up picking business, but it was really my internships that I took during college that I think helped mm. me find my footing and give me some sense of direction. Certainly. Well, uh, following school then, and then prior to Pop-Up Pop Grocer, what did you end up doing um, career-wise? Um, and what did that journey look like? Yeah, so um, in college I had two internships, both in the areas of social media and for the arts. So I worked uh, on developing a social media strategy for a museum and for um, a, a music nonprofit that worked with local musicians, mm -hmm. uh, of which there are many in Memphis, Tennessee, and the surrounding area. And through that experience, I really developed a passion for marketing for building community through social media. Mm. And I pursued that. I moved to Boston. I got a job with um, uh, a company listed on Craigslist as AgroPharma, which uh, as it turned out was the parent company to Chobani. Mm. And um, I worked there when that was a, a pretty small company, kind of a big manufacturing operation, but pretty small in its corporate makeup. Yeah. and uh, led the, the digital side of the marketing and comms department there. Um, and then uh, I left there in 2013, so 10 years ago now, mm -hmm. and uh, started my own business, wow. um, Pop-Up Grocer, but one that uh, ultimately led to, to creating Pop-Up Grocer. Yeah, that's incredible. I would love to kind of lean into that part of your life where you have the social media background, heavily on digital. What what does this transition look like, and what 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 sparked your interest to start your own? I'm not sure what what was prior to Pop Up Grocer. Did you bring this digital aspect to your your next business, and what did that look like? 
Yeah. I think what I'm realizing maybe even just now through this conversation. So thanks for helping me work yeah. <laughs> work this uh, thread of mine. Of course. But I'm really I'm really a people person, uh, which as an introvert is also a little bit hard to make sense of perhaps. But uh, I think what I loved the most about social media was bringing an audience in and the ability to interact with them on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm. And then from a business standpoint, uh, whether you are a museum or a musician or a yogurt company, actually see that um, impact uh, the overall success of the company and your products. So um, I, I knew when I left there that, you know, I could go and do social media um, for another company and have a similar experience in terms of what really brought me delight and joy and motivation. Um, but I felt like I wanted to have a bigger and more direct impact, perhaps from um, a founder standpoint mm. and focus on those people in particular. Yeah. Um, so that's why I went to went on to create my own consultancy, wherein I worked with small food companies for the most part, uh, helping bring them to market. Amazing. Um, yeah, I think this is a perfect transition into pop-up grocery. I'm, I presume this is what ultimately led to that. What did the, the establishment of pop-up grocery look like? Who were maybe some of your first clients and what was your envision launching pop-up grocery? Yeah, so I was working with these small food companies uh, at their point of launch mm -hmm. and Prior to that experience, I had never really peeked behind the retail curtain. And that was quite eye-opening to be able to really start to comprehend the challenges that these companies face when they're trying to get from point A to point B and point B being simply, you know, a shelf somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and largely the challenges come down to resources, both financial and human. Um, you know, there are slotting fees, marketing fees, required demo. Um, basically, once you get on shelf, which you sometimes have to pay for, you also have to pay to stay on shelf. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's if you can even like broker the connection to one of these retailers. Uh, and then there's also like the challenge of time. Uh, most of these planograms are uh, planned, you know, nine months to a year mm -hmm. in and so you have to start the conversations uh, even back, further back from that. Yeah. So there's a lag time uh, from a consumer standpoint, too, um, to be able to see the products that you might find on the Internet available to you via D2C, mm. uh, actually in a physical store. So I wanted to solve what the consumer was uh, experiencing and not being able to have... Uh, these products that they were being served ads for, whatever, on Instagram, available to them in one central location. Mm. And I wanted to solve the problem for the brands um, to uh, have a more efficient path to market, essentially, uh, a faster one, a less costly one, and one with higher uh, visibility and exposure. You know, once you get on one of those shelves, uh, you're one of so many. Yeah. And, you know, a typical grocery store is 40,000 square feet. It's like the size of a, of a football field. So I wanted to create a space where they had a higher likelihood of actually being seen and then, you know, cared about. 
So I had no idea how to do that, but that was sort of the light bulb <laughs> moment yeah. that then, uh, led to the experiment, which then became Papa Blizzard. That's incredible. At launch, um, who were some of those, maybe the first categories or the first brands that you, you reached out to? And did you launch with just a very small number? What would that initial launch look like when you brought on the brands? Yeah, so, you know, I had been in marketing in the food space uh, at that point um, three years ago. So, you know, for let's call it seven years. Uh, so the, the network that I had built is not to be uh, underrepresented, mm -hmm. but um, I, I love to tell people the story of like how many emails I sent out because <laughs> uh, I can hardly believe it myself now. I'm not sure I would have the um, dedication or just simply be willing to put the time there in that way anymore. Yeah. But I sent out a lot of emails um, <laughs> and you know there, a percentage came back with a yes and that was enough to open a store. But we opened with about I'd say 120 brands. Uh, initially, I just thought that the concept was going to really build my pipeline of clients for my consulting practice. So mm. I thought, hey, I'll put a few of my clients on a shelf, um, bring in the media, bring in buyers, bring in a fellow retailers, uh, bring in influencers, get them the exposure that they deserve. Mm. And then by nature of the exposure of that, uh, I'll be able to build my business as a consultant. But once I started passing around to friends of mine in the industry this idea that I had, I very quickly understood how much the need was felt and thus mm. how big the audience that I could serve actually was. Wow, that's very cool. I'm curious, it's probably shifted as time was went on, but when you launched, how did you convince some of these brands to, to join the platform? What was the onboarding process look like? Was there a fee, shared revenue? What was that like? Yes, um, so the convincing, I put together uh, a deck um, that I think did a really good job of outlining the challenge that they face and getting into retail, so sort of aligning with them, helping them understand that I know their position mm -hmm. and thus, you know, the solution that we can provide to that. I think they felt really seen and heard and cared for. Um, so I think that the deck really helped us a lot. You know, it is, it's hard to do something that has never been done before, like a pop-up grocery store is not a, a thing that really existed until we did. Yeah. Um, and retail as a, uh, marketing is still somewhat of a new concept, especially for a lot of these brands too, who are small, who are very founder and passion led. They don't mm. necessarily have marketing experience to understand the value of something like what we are putting on. Um, so there's a lot of hand holding and a lot of education really that we still do to this day. Yeah. Um, but I think again, like the, the unique, standpoint of these brands in the grocery space, the difficulties that they're facing that are quite unique to CBG really mm -hmm. uh, did position us well for success. I'm not sure that, um, you know, pop-up apparel would have been as successful, though I'm sure there are unique challenges there that I just don't understand. Yeah, no, certainly. I'm curious, um, when you onboard some new products, new brands, like today especially, to make sure that oversaturation doesn't happen or a crowded category, 
what does the selective process look like? What do you look for in a brand? And what does that look like for maybe a founder listening? Yeah. So we have had more or less the same categories since the start, but we really are trend driven as opposed to trying to, as opposed to the reverse of just how traditional retail works, which is like we have six cereal slots and we need to fill them. Um, if cereal is no longer what where the innovation is happening, then we won't have cereal. Mm. Um, but uh, we are also unique in that we limit competition within category. So we would only have one or two cereals versus mm. the six or nine or 35 yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, there are, there are three driving criteria for our selections overall. One, are, is it doing something different? Mm. Because our concept is all about uh, new products, of course, but really ones that are innovative and looking to change something, mm -hmm. uh, make things, make products that are better for us, better for the environment. So that first criterion is the biggie. And then the second has to do with ingredient responsibility. And the third is about looks. Mm. Um, you know, uh, packaging is important and in increasingly so, and it contributes to the overall aesthetic of our space, mm. uh, contributes to the overall success of our business and thus what we promise to the brands that we work with. Mm -hmm. Amazing. To uh, some of the listeners who might not be familiar with Pop-Up Grocer, I'm sure they're curious on fulfillment purposes and logistics. How does that look, that model for Pop-Up Grocer? If they place an order, how is it received and who does fulfill that order? Is it Pop-Up Grocer's end, the, the brands, what does that look like? So today we work on consignment uh, and direct distribution. So we will make an inventory request from a brand, they will ship it directly to us. Uh, and then whatever sells, um, you know, they make uh, a revenue share on mm -hmm. and whatever doesn't, if possible for the brand, obviously not um, everything qualifies or makes financial sense to be shipped back, but yeah. can be shipped back to them. We also offer donation or sale through our subscription e-com boxes. Amazing. Uh, with some of the marketing you've done in the past, um, Sharon, you did some influencer work also prior. I'm curious. What have you found to be the main demographic of some of your, your consumers? Is it pretty much the same demographic as the brands bring in? What does that look like? I think probably like you would assume. Um, yeah. We do skew younger than I had anticipated, which I find really exciting. Mm -hmm. um, keeps me young. <laughs> I think it just speaks <laughs> to uh, some hope for our future. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, elder Gen Z to younger millennial with disposable income, you know, 90% of our products are priced under $10, but mm. we are not by any means uh, an inexpensive or budget destination. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I wish I wish that weren't the case, but uh, <laughs> unfortunately still today, you know, good ingredients cost more money. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, yeah, these are these are conscious shoppers, people who care about things that they're putting in and on their body. They're pretty yep. discriminating. Certainly. Well, I'd like to wrap up each episode with this. Uh, if you could share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe something you've learned or regret along the way, 
Uh, what would that be? <laughs> Don't read anything. Yeah. <laughs> I think naivete is critical to doing this. Um, and I actually feel like I used to... Um, what is the politically correct way to say this? Maybe frown upon a little bit, like the growing young founder base. Because mm -hmm. um, I know that, like when I was 25, even though I was leading a team of 14 people at a close to billion dollar company, mm -hmm. uh, I would not have been able to build and run the company that I am now and that I'm going to be running in the next five years. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what it what a 25 year old has um, to their advantage is A, just like very simply energy and B, uh, a lack of experience, which I actually think is invaluable because if you yeah. had told me that uh, exactly what it entails to do what I'm doing, I would not have signed up for it. Yeah. Uh, I also do not regret it. So um, I, I, I would say, you know, just um, learn as you go and don't ask too many questions. Mm. But I know there are so many founder friends of mine who are uh, excellent at calling on people for help and information all the time, and yeah. they're successful as well. So this is just my own personal advice, but Certainly. pretty strongly in it. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Emily, thank you so much for joining me today. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out Pop-Up Grocer at popupgrocer.com. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, Leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.